Hi folks, a little bit of housekeeping before we start the podcast. Uh, we need your support. It's as simple as that. The Tortoise Shack relies on you to pay it forward. And how you do that is you join us on patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack. The link is in the podcast. So when you're reading the little bio about what this pod is about, just click on it and see if there's a level that you're happy to keep this podcast going. Uh, and for that, you get tons and tons of additional content as quickly as we can turn them around. This week alone, we had a brilliant conversation with hospital consultant Laura Durkin. Longtime listeners would recall Laura's been on a few times. It was great to catch up with Laura. Uh, the second um, episode of Shrapnel has landed, folks. It's already out and it's featuring a conversation with MLA and deputy leader of the UUP. Uh, Robbie Butler really fascinating insight great to have the guys putting out the content now on on the tortoise shack feed on on top of that we had a brilliant conversation with Killian Woods to talk about how the I the REITs the IREFs and the ICAVs are making huge profits and still paying less taxes than they were previously all of those are available Plea free. None of us asking you for money because it goes straight out as quickly as we can turn it around right now on patreon.com forward slash tortoise Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for liking, sharing, supporting, letting people know. But we really need people to put their hands in their pockets. It's it's once a month. It's a couple of it's a couple of quid. Makes all the difference. Thanks for the support. Hello and welcome to the Echo Chamber podcast. My name is Tony Groves and we're back as we promised yesterday uh, covering a topic that we've covered actually I think it was as, as long back Martin as about 830 episodes ago when we first covered uh, th- th- these issues. Um, seems like a long time uh, and and when we talk about uh, we're going to talk about extractivism, frack gas and what that means but if I can be really kind Martin it's before. It's just around midday, and you do look like a site that's been well fractured. Look, that, that. look, I've coffee, and the battery is beginning to charge. Um, I've cursed Mark Ruffalo first thing this morning. Oh, so yes, I'm, <laughs> I'm ready to go. I do want to. I want. I want to draw attention to that again. I often get lots of people poke fun at me all the time and say, "Say if you could, Tony." Why do you always say if you had a time machine, the one thing you'd do is you'd go back in time and try and convince Mark Ruffalo not to go on that Zoom and tell those tell the Green Party to prop up this government? But nonetheless, I digress. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't, I can't, I can't change what happened. Um, look, we have been, we have a brilliant uh, group of individuals here to talk to us about the issues involved. And um, first of all, we have Julia Walsh, who's founder of uh, Frack Action, and uh, this is this is going to be something that obviously. Is a global issue, but we're going to talk obviously through an Irish lens. But Julia is going to talk about about that in the, in that aspect. We also have Ray Campbell, who's an educator and an ex gas worker, which uh, is obviously a brilliant uh, insight into that. And uh, William Hederman, who's a freelance journalist and campaigner with the Climate Camp. Uh, so first of all, like folks, all of you, thank you so much for coming on today. It's it's lovely to 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 see activism in action and how. Uh, Believe it or not, the the grassroots thing, because that's where it changes. That's where we always say that's where it changes. And Julia, if I could go to you first, you know, if you could just give us a sense, first of all, of, you know, first of all, frack action, what what it is and who you guys are and why you're involved with the climate camp. Yeah, we uh, were a group that started up in 2010 when fracking was about to start in New York and helped to form one of the largest coalitions in our state's history, which led to the ban on fracking in 2014. And right after we banned fracking in New York, uh, which at the time was somewhat of an insurmountable task, according to all the naysayers, but we were able to do it through grassroots organizing. Uh, And we came over to Ireland because we heard there was 
the potential here. I'm Irish American, care deeply about Ireland and uh, got involved, worked for two years with grassroots groups here and help ban fracking in the Republic of Ireland uh, and have been working with folks in the North as well and have been involved in this issue of Shannon LNG stopping the import terminal that's proposed for the Shannon estuary for the past three years, three years. Um, and we've been also fighting it on the export side, which is where I live um, along the Delaware River in uh, the New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania area, where they want to take the fracked gas from Pennsylvania, um, liquefy it, ship it over here. I'm 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 very um, aware, Ray, that you know, like most of our listeners will know what frack gas is. They will know the the issues. But if 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 you're new to this, how do you simplify? You know what what it is and why. And I'm just gonna you know, I think the statistic is it's like eighty times worse than uh than than some of the the the, the carbon issues that we're talking about. What can can you like as an ex gas worker? Why is why is frack gas particularly? Uh, something that we should be worried about and not allowing them call it a transition refuel? Well, when we do a well and the fracking process goes in the phase of the fracking, we do a tons of water, you know, over 200 different chemicals because it's a massive extermination of everything underground of that well and the silica sand. Plus, it's radioactive. We know it's radioactive because they drill through the hottest spots. When DEP did the water testing on our house, in one day, 33 water wells and 33 families lost their water well in one day from this process. When DEP came did the testing, found four grades of uranium and the, and the chemical list just goes on. Now, I don't know of any way of removing uranium from the product, okay? So it's in the gas, it's, you know, this looks there, it's going to come over in the frack gas. You know, there's no way, you know, I'd have never seen, you know, if we had a way to remove uranium, we'd be doing it with, you know, nuclear power plants and everything else and just make, hey, it's gone, it's clean water. But we don't have that technology. That's what we bury underground and everything else what the government tries to do is to hide it. So I find it to be a very dangerous gas. It's a very dirty gas. We've had multiple you know, pipeline failures in the states, houses blowing up where regulators and stuff will go bad because it's not used to this toxic gas and it's a wet gas. So, I mean, there's there's numerous problems, but the biggest, my biggest thing is, is about the uranium and the chemicals and everything else that are there. So when you burn it, it's going to burn into your house. Thanks, right. Julia, you wanted to come in there. Yeah, I mean, in addition to all the pollution problems, I mean, this is a very controversial and different form of extraction where they're blowing up underground bedrock using uh, millions of gallons of water, high pressures with hundreds of thousands of pounds of chemicals. Uh, As Ray was saying, they drill into areas in Pennsylvania where there's uranium pockets uh, and that comes back up to the surface polluting both the the water um, and uh, and and the other piece that you were bringing up is this issue of climate. And so um, the gas extraction, I mean, the methane emissions are over 80 times worse for the climate than carbon dioxide. And then 
in relation to the liquefied natural gas, which you're talking about taking the gas from a gaseous form, turning it into a liquid, shipping it all the way over the Atlantic and then regasifying it, I mean, that even causes more emissions. So this is very intensive as far as the emissions are concerned and is the opposite of what we should be doing right now when we're on the brink of climate catastrophe <laughs> and uh, the IPCC and um, many different almost every climate scientist uh, in the world has said we have to stop extracting more fossil fuels and move to renewable energy immediately if we have any hope of of basically surviving william going to ask you to come com- sorry i'm going to ask you to come in there this gas now is going to be imported into ireland we're looking at it and we're saying we don't create frack gas but we're going to use it. Can you tell us what the problem with that is, William? Sure, yeah. Well, as many listeners will be aware, Ireland banned fracking in 2017. And that was a that was a huge victory, a rare victory for the environmental movement. But um, you know, now we're looking at a situation where we're going to be outsourcing those harms, outsourcing that uh, you know, those threats to human health and those uh, you know, devastation of communities and of the environment. Um I think it's really important to say at this point that um, a very sort of the message and the narrative that's being really strongly pushed now by New Fortress Energy and then, of course, by, uh, as always happens, by the media and politicians. This We're hearing this now well, a lot. Well, and- can I can I just make a point and I'll let you finish that. This is the flow. I mean, the, the New Fortress Energy have actually made statements to to the to their involved sta- stakeholders to say this is going to go ahead this is how it's happening because it their share price relies on these type of things and then we see Ireland has such an effective corporate lobbyist group that we can almost hear that we can see that being repeated so sorry William but I think it's we I also have a big issue with lobbying in Ireland and I think it's something we really need to tackle and and talk about uh, more strongly and and call yeah. it out <clears throat> Yeah, absolutely. And the talking points that we hear uh, from from politicians, I was debating a junior minister, Niall Collins, this morning on News Talk uh, very briefly. But, you know, the talking points from people like that, uh, they're coming from, you know, they they come from industry ultimately. And the message we're hearing a lot and now anecdotally, when you get into conversations with people on the street, they say, oh, well, it won't necessarily. What if what if it's not fracked gas? So this line is being pushed that the company is saying, oh, it doesn't have to be fracked gas. Now, it's quite complex, but, you know, there's lots of evidence to show um, very clearly that New Fortress Energy, New Fortress Energy, all of their operations um, are in, in the United States involve fracked gas. Their export terminals involve fracked gas. They they made statements in official documents, including to the Securities and Exchange Commission in the U.S., uh, that, that they would be using hydraulic fracturing or fracking. I could go on and on. That's been detailed. But, you know... Um, it's important to say, and one of the messages, you know, this, this, the, Julie alluded to the wider climate issue, and this camp, the climate camp, obviously, is about about climate breakdown and the threat from fossil fuels. And really, the fracking question is also, it's also, it's obviously very important. But it, this question, will it be fracked or not, is a distraction from, um, you know, the fact that the world's leading climate scientists, the Intergovernmental Panel on, on Climate Change, have said very clearly, they've given a very clear warning. Uh, that to avoid a collapse of our climate systems that that would threaten su- the survival mm-hmm. of life on Earth, in order to avoid that, we can't afford to build any new fossil fuel infrastructure. So that's not that's not climate camp. That's not environmentalists. That's not activists. That's science. Climate scientists are telling us that. So we have to find a way to meet our energy needs while rapidly reducing 
the use of use of fossil fuels. And if I could just continue that for a moment, the good news is that scientific studies now show we can meet our energy needs through a combination of renewable energy, energy storage, microgeneration, interconnectors with other countries, a whole suite of measures, but most importantly, by reducing our energy consumption. And that's the key part that the government, uh, like most governments, are not at all interested in. Um, so that, for example, means no more data centers. And there's a very big link here between LNG and fracking but all, and data centers. Uh, just two days ago, Ennis Data Center was given the green light, which is really shocking. That's a 200 megawatt uh, data center, an absolutely colossal amount of energy. So, um, you know, that's all the homes, just 200 megawatts. That's all the equivalent to the amount of electricity used by all the homes in Clare, Kerry and Limerick combined. So. Um, that's 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 really what's happening. The government the government isn't taking it seriously. Um, there's just a constant. Oh, oh I'd argue uh, the government are taking it very seriously, but okay. they're actually aiming it in the wrong direction, William. Um, and maybe uh, I don't know, Julia, you're you're talking about the, the like we know organisations like keep it in the ground who say you know we just we have to stop. You know we should almost incentivize saying let's stop this. But when it comes to the alternatives like renewables, uh, we've seen a crisis in the glo- uh, global economy of you know energy shortages. Where warnings now from the UK yesterday of phased blackouts. And yet they've been better, uh, I put it to you, that of getting the message across that actually in this crisis, there's an opportunity to move towards renewables and, and away from these things. And we're, we're losing that argument. And this is why some, what the work you're doing is so important. Yeah, I mean, we need a, a, uh, the level of immobilization that people say uh, akin to like the, a world war. Like there's no reason why we can't be building out renewable energy, training people to take those jobs, to put in the heat pumps, to put in the solar panels, to put in the uh, wind turbines. I mean, we're in a, it's, it's, I mean, it's obscene. And you think about all the military aid that's being given right now. I mean, um, which is fine, but there's so much money and so much capacity, but the governments are just not putting the resources where it needs they need to go in order to transition this economy. And why is that? It's because the fossil fuel industry has a like chokehold on our governments. Uh, and you know, they've known about climate change since the 70s. And they've spun that climate change wasn't real for decades. And now we're in this situation where we have very limited time to turn this around and still the fossil fuel industry is controlling um, our fate. And so the only thing that's going to stop them is for people to organize, get involved, and we need to demand that the politicians stop listening to them and uh, put the resources and and listen to the science. Um, I mean, are the fate of our of our lives is in is in their hands right now, Martin? I want to make, make one thing. You know, I'm a nerd for this stuff, but but less than a third of last year's U.S. military budget would would almost account for what was estimated on an annual budget for global climate action. So it's it's a third, but like it's it's insane. Like can the, I the, the, can the I ask this, on that? Go on. Can I ask this question about LNG? So when they're shipping it to Ireland. Do we know whether that's fracked gas? Do we know whether that's unfracked gas? Is it mixed together? Are we in the dark about how they're, you know, what mixture is coming to us? Or when they bring over fracked gas, do we absolutely 100% know that that's fully fracked gas? 
Or is this kind of a blood diamond situation where they mix it all together and you can't tell? Julia. I'll just say that the majority of gas coming out of the U.S. right now is fracked. And the company, New Fortress Energy, their whole model is based on getting gas that is from fracked areas that's considered what they call stranded assets. So this is gas that they can't get to market um, and existing pipeline infrastructure. And their whole model is to take that uh, gas, liquefy it, and then transport it in ways that are very dangerous, including by truck and by old rail cars. And that's what we're fighting in the United States right now with this export terminal they're proposing. Um, They're basically like putting the infrastructure together with chewing gum and tape uh, in order to make an end run around costs, not have to go through regulatory agencies in the U.S. for a new pipeline. So their whole model is based on a very, very dicey and, and dangerous method of getting it out. And so that's, I mean, that's what we know. Um, and in their 2018 United States Securities and Exchange filing, commission filing, they stated in that filing that the gas would be from hydraulic fracturing. So, um, you know, that's, that's what, you know, that's, that's what we know. Ray, you want, you know, I hate to do, like, I get awkward like this, Martin, you notice it's the putting the personal side on this. You refer to yourself as, as, as also a victim of, of, of uh, frac gas and your community as a victim of, of, of frac gas. Can you explain, because it's all well and good, me shouting numbers out and Julia giving us the, you know, the, the mix and that, but what it means to actual individuals and their ability to, to live and actually, and livelihoods. Well, like I said, we lost the water in the house because my neighbor drilled the well 500 feet from the front door of my house, not on my property. I don't want anything. I don't want any of their crap on my property in any way, shape or form. So when they took out our water well, they were ordered by DEP to give us replacement water. So we get plastic buffaloes, what they're called plastic buffaloes. They're big, round, 325-gallon tank. You know, they stick it outside, throw a stupid little shit over the dang thing, and they have a truck, and they bring it there and put it to your house. Disconnect your well from your home. The only problem is it's non-potable water. You can't drink it. So they were also delivering bottled water so you could drink, so you had something to drink. In the wintertime, that would cost the homeowner anywhere between two to $250 a month in electric to try to heat those things so they don't freeze so you have water. The whole process is a bad idea, but they dumped that out in 2010. They turned, oh, the industry you know, met their obligations. They no longer have to supply water to us. So here I am, you know, 2022, okay, and I have to go with a truck, get my friend to come down, drive the truck, go up, get water from another town and truck it back to my house and put it into a tank in my basement. So I have water to shower with, flush toilet, you know, so forth. Um, so you got a $400,000 house that's now worth zero. You can't sell it because you don't have the water. Plus I have the contamination, the dust costly from that site blows over onto my house. It's in my yard. You know, and now we got another industry wants to put Eureka wants to put a water waste facility a mile up the road from me and take all the uh, brine and the flowback waters from the wells. And they want to pull the lithium and salt out of that and sell it 
and then they're going to discharge the rest into our creek bed that runs to my property wow. so I'm, I'm fighting that too and then you know the methane you know the compressor stations they blow up compressor stations they do a blow up because they got to do something with a pipe line one of the lines or something so they just open the valves up and they blow it right there in the air it sounds like a 747 sitting in your backyard ready for takeoff and that'll go for 20 to 30 minutes and you can go outside and you can see the plume coming up from the compressor station or the well and you you see it right in the air so i mean the amount of methane they we dump off is is i couldn't even come up with the figures because it's astronomical right i presume like you're a tough character you're well able to stand your ground you're going to stand your ground but i presume that not everybody in your community can do that i presume that people just leave they pull a blanket over the head hide in the corner you know you know we signed the mba you know look what they're doing to you i go they can't shut us up on a human rights and health issue you cannot silence people for human rights and health and where i turn i said you can't put the color of your skin religion politics cannot put any of this into this equation this is about we the people of the world without water air and soil we're all dead yeah, so I mean, it's about we the people. William, you wanted to come in there. Yeah, thanks, Tony. So I suppose, um, you know, again, thanks to Ray. I just want to say briefly that at the climate camp, uh, you know, one, one of one of our uh, the climate camp was partly about showing solidarity with uh, with people affected by by fracking uh, in in other parts of the world, and it was great to have Ray and Julia there. And people were really, really moved by by hearing Ray's story. Um, but I, I just want to talk briefly about, I suppose, another narrative that we're hearing a lot, and everyone listening, I think, will be familiar with this. The but idea we have that, to keep the lights on, William. We have to keep the exactly, lights on. You, you knew exactly where I was going. Yeah, we do need to keep the lights on. Um, and the idea that we need an LNG terminal to keep the lights on um, this winter is what we're hearing now. Of course, the LNG terminal is not going to be built. It's not an LNG. If they go ahead with Shannon LNG, it's not going to help us this winter. It's not going to help us the following winter. The company is saying three-year construction period. Uh, usually, you can't really rely on what companies say. Anyway, it's going to take longer. But um, it also is important to say, and I think a lot of people know this: it's an LNG term will not help uh, prices. A big, a big issue is cost of living and the price of energy. Again, don't forget. LNG, we're still going to be buying it from profit-making corporations. They're not going to be giving it to us cheap. Um, so, you know, we're still dependent. Uh, we're still at the mercy of volatile global markets. Um, we're we're dependent, you know, um, we're uh, relying on, well, well, basically, um, this is actually going to make, are arguably going to make us less energy secure because uh, building an LNG terminal will create what's called fossil fuel lock-in. So we'll be locked into uh, fossil gas, methane gas for decades to come. That uh, always has the effect of slowing investment in renewables. Um, and that means... And and can I say, William, it also is not exactly a lovely thing to have on your shoreline if it's a risk in terms of, I mean, what are we, we're two years removed from a, a tragic incident in Lebanon. And I know we're not, I can't equate one with the other, but we see these things can and do happen. And, you know, yeah. if you're putting one of those... You're, it's not likely that an offshore wind farm is going to explode in the same way exactly. as, as an LNG exactly. plant yeah, can. Yeah, yeah. Whether it's jobs, I mean, they talk about jobs for this a lot. There'll be jobs in 
um, you know, renewable energy and retrofitting. There are all kinds of jobs that the government create in rural areas like North Kerry that have been neglected. But uh, putting in a fossil fuel terminal is not is not the way to help local people. Um, but just getting back to the energy security, you know, you know, so so um, we need renewables and all the other measures that that I mentioned earlier. Uh, it's also worth mentioning, you know, that if the climate crisis keeps getting worse, there's, there isn't going to be any kind of. There's going to be no energy security, no food security. We aren't going to be able to live. Uh, on the planet. But, you know, to make these changes and to shift to renewables um, and give ourselves real energy security, it takes political will. And that's what's lacking. And this is something that came through a lot in our discussions. We had a couple of scientists there and saying that political will is lacking. Public awareness and concern is big in Ireland, but it's not translating into public outrage that's required to drive change. Uh, and what we were, what, what I think we were trying to do, one of the things on the camp, the climate camp was to, uh, I suppose, I suppose we would say, you know, in our this kind of capitalist society, people don't feel they have permission to be radical or militant. But we were trying to empower people to feel um, that, to recognize that we can make change if we come together and take radical action. And there was a real sense of that as as hundreds of climate activists from across Ireland came together and shared skills and ideas and strategized together about how to create change from the bottom yeah. and how to um, confront the fossil fuel corporations and other powerful interests that are driving our world towards towards catastrophe if you that isn't see, uh, too see, no no uh, no you could see martin's face lighting up when she said radical so yeah well. yeah no i believe it's our duty to be radical i absolutely believe it's our duty to be radical can i ask a question about this with the the lng they're saying we need to keep the lights on but from what we can see in our newspapers on every day on the on the news they're keeping the lights on not for us but for increased demand for data centers. And they seem to be dropping out of the sky like snowflakes in Ireland. Um, as you mentioned that, that one recently, I did comment on that. I mean, what the hell are they doing with the data centers? Is there some kind of secret deal going on that Ireland is the dumping center for data, data centers for Europe? Ray. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's, sorry, it's William, really incredible. Yeah. Ray. Sorry, Ray, were you? trying to come in well one thing you have to remember every bit of lng you want to put here is another hundred wells drilled around my house and in my county so basically you're killing me to import lng and the other people of pennsylvania and susquehanna county the other thing is same thing is as there we bring wells in we bring workers in they turn i tell you we're going to create jobs. It's going to be better jobs for you. They're going to bring all their experienced employees from out of country to operate this thing. The locals will might get maybe 1% or 2% of the low-end jobs that the, they don't want to do. But they're going to bring in their experienced people to do the work. Same thing they did in Pennsylvania for the drilling. They brought all their drillers in from out of state you know, and that's what did the work. There was I, very few. Yeah. I have I have to come in and just make the point, and people be sick of hearing me. Listeners be sick of me here talking about the Sarah Han mine in in Colombia, and how Ireland is it like we're you know we can't take in Russian coal anymore, and we very quickly went back to taking you know coal from this godforsaken mine in Colombia, which is awash with blood from people being displaced, disappeared, and the likes of that. And then take that a step further to Ray's point about how 
this actually people can say, well, look, it's it's coal. What what damage are we doing? The company who own that mine now, because there was a few people who owned it, but one company consolidated it now. They're based in Dublin, folks. And the only reason they're based in Dublin is because of our tax laws. So, you know, so we're responsible on a number of levels in Ireland. We may be this little rock on the edge of the on the edge of the EU, but we're responsible on a number of levels for, for these issues. Uh, sorry, William, did you want to? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, well, there are a couple of links there from what what you both said uh, to data centers. I mean, in terms of jobs, uh, like as Ray says, and we've 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 raised that we've we've pushed that message very much. You know, an LNG terminal in North Kerry is not going to provide many jobs, and of the jobs that there are, very few will be for local people. They'll bring in experts from outside. Data centers is the same. Uh, data centers employ very few people, but. I suppose I heard uh, there was another junior minister on yesterday uh, debating one of our my colleagues, uh, and he kept saying about how well big tech, um, well you know the tech companies employ lots of people here. I mean, they're not employing people in data centres, but the the, the 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 implication is they employ lots of people in Ireland. So if we don't let them have their data centres, which are just destroying our energy system and our climate, if we don't let them do that, then maybe they'll pull out their jobs. It's kind of like. It's kind of like admitting that big tech's holding a gun to the government's head, you know. Um, I suppose um, the bigger picture there really is, you know, uh, well, big corporations, and particularly in Ireland, big tech, um, they have uh, they have a huge amount of power, and the government will literally bend over backwards and allow them to do anything, like just more and more data centers and more and more. Um, you know, it's it's Ireland is a tax haven, and you mentioned that in relation to the Serhan, the people who distribute. Uh, yeah, I think it's the company that um, sells all of that. The, all of the coal from that mine in Colombia to Europe comes through an office in Dublin. Mm. Um, again, for taxes, D- big tech is here because of tax reasons. They're also here because of uh, it's a bit of a data privacy haven. Ireland's regulations are more lax. Um, and it's also, you could argue, a carbon emissions haven because uh, clearly, you know, other countries are putting um, the Netherlands at around, they had around 6% of electricity consumption from data centers and they put in a moratorium. Singapore, similarly, Ireland is now up in the mid teens and growing fast and there's no sign of a proper moratorium uh so again it's a bit of a it's a bit of a carbon emissions haven uh there yeah, the tony, tony has to have a free one tony has covered the link between jobs and big tech here in the in this country and yeah. shown very clearly that we don't get the commensurate number of jobs for what they take from us. And we simply don't get the commensurate number of jobs that they do far better in Germany, uh, jobs for, for what they're, they're giving away. Profit here, per head, Martin, is, yeah, is, profit is near, per head, it's, it's, is it's right. nearly 112 times less jobs for the same amount of, uh, money transfers. So we do with this, this is all to do with transfer pricing or how we operate. Ireland is, Ireland has, we know this, Ireland, that's how Ireland operates, but I want to come back to the actual issues at hand. Um, Julia, to come back to you, um, Fracking, even now we see in the US the the largest budget in history and the unfortunately named uh, IRA bill, which is unfortunately named in the Irish context. Everybody's looking at that going, please stop talking about the IRA bill. Um, but nonetheless, uh, do, do you do you feel even in, in the US that there's that this is this is the change? You know, the, like I, I would argue, obviously, that that we we. There, it doesn't look radical enough, but we're going to get told something is better than nothing. And this big bill, bill there is opportunity there. It's the biggest spend on on climate change and climate action in the history of the United States. Does it does, does it give you hope? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's a positive step in the right direction. There's definitely a lot of carve outs for fossil fuel companies, um, or else we wouldn't have gotten some of those uh, senators to vote for it. <laughs> um, and 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 then some venture capitalists got some deals to step aside as well. It was it's okay, but look, it, there are a lot it, of deals. There's yeah. a lot of good things in there. It's going to be very helpful. Would have been more helpful ten years ago. Um, to step in the right direction, it is nowhere near where we need to be. Um, so we really need to ramp up the the um, the pressure on the government, and we need to organize. And folks are overwhelmingly aware of climate change. I think a lot of people just don't know what to do. It's very overwhelming. It's a global issue, and people feel like, well, what can I do? I'm one person. Um, but you know, it's all social movements, all social change has come from everyday people working together and organizing. And, um, here in Ireland, I think that things could happen really quickly. Uh, it's a relatively small population here of people and y'all talk a lot. (laughs) Um, and so word spreads fast. (laughs) Um, so, you know, there is real possibility for dramatic change. But you definitely need to get your government moving in that direction and away from these corporate interests uh, and this mindset, very scarcity mindset that you have to do these things um, that are ultimately destroying the possibility of Ireland being a leader on renewable energy and and the climate crisis. We did see um, in the past with Shell to see. We saw that a lot of people in Ireland will stand up and quite militant um, and they will stand up for Ireland, for Ireland's environmental position. Do you think that we can see that, William, do you think that the camp can see that kind of action again? Yeah, well, um, you know, I was I was involved in the Shelter Sea campaign and uh, we had some uh, some people there um, sharing, you know, strategies and skills. And in fact, we, we Johnny McGallagher, who's a prominent local campaigner down in Kerry with safety before LNG, he gave paid tri- he and others paid tribute to the lessons learned. Uh, also, people from uh, Love Leitrim uh, campaign that was behind the uh, you know, they, were, they, they get, created a momentum for the ban on fracking in 2017. And they spoke about uh, how uh, sharing uh, learning from other struggles really helped uh, along the way. Um, I was just going to quickly read a very short quote from um, one of the participants in the camp who's quite new to, to activism. She said, uh, I used to think if I learned more about the climate crisis, it would make me more anxious. But the opposite was true. Uh, I have never felt more filled with determined hope, more at home and more energized than I have in these past five days at climate camp. That's a quote, a genuine quote from someone who came to the camp and we used it in our press release. And you can read those all on our website, climatecampireland.ie, if you don't mind the plug. But yeah, I think um I, I think as Julie says, things can things can change really quickly. And I think there's so many issues. Um, you know, the sort of um exploitative capitalist system that we live in now uh is there's so many issues uh you know cost of living and and the rent crisis the housing crisis um and then and clearly the climate crisis which is just looming larger and larger for more and more people um you know and for example we really need to challenge um the the the, the drive for for p- perpetual growth um and going back to the IPCC again this isn't just climate campaigners again climate scientists have said in their latest uh, report from the IPCC uh, that in order to solve the climate crisis, we actually have to move away from a system of economic growth. Um, 
So, yeah, they're just that means yeah. moving away from neoliberalism. That's right. exactly what it means moving away from. Ray, Ray did you want to have, say something there? Oh, no, I had an itch. Uh, <laughs> uh, listen, I, I'm just reminded of um, we always had this had this had the phrase, you know, that uh, good housing policy is good climate policy. Uh, good, 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 stable jobs is good climate policy. Good health service is good climate policy. All of the things that we that we would look and then. You know, um, in a country, as Julia points out, a small country, which is boasting again, yet again, boasting about beating all the odds of, you know, GDP uh, up 6.2 percent flying and yet inequality growing. There is in that in that crisis, as you call a cost of living, there's an opportunity as well. And people listening to this have that conversation with maybe the people who are skeptical about it, because that's where, you know, because you can link these things, you can link stable jobs martin you talk about bogus self-employment mm-hmm. all the time and a danger it does how much better would it be if those guys who were working in as builders were working in state projects to retrofit homes and stable jobs with pensions well i i you know on this issue of building data centers you know we have a very limited number of people involved in construction in ireland there are plenty of other things we need to build other than data centers you know plenty plenty of other things you're not providing construction jobs by building a data center. You're just taking construction people from another section where you need them and putting them where you don't need them. There was one famous, um, and William, you remember the, the, the big hullabaloo about the Athenry um, data center that Apple went through all of this rigmarole for. And I think at the time we had this huge other thing, Julian, where you mightn't remember this, but to our eternal shame, when uh, Barack Obama visited, how we honored him was by opening a petrol station. <laughs> Right. And we had it, the Barack Obama Plaza. But the funny thing about it was these two things kind of coincided. And I often made the point that the actual Barack Obama Plaza created more jobs than the data center that they were fighting so tooth and nail to do. It was a staggering fact. You know, it's like, are we really going down this road? Um, look, I want to first of all, thank you, everybody, for joining us. Um, Julia, uh, William, sorry, you want one more point? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just picking up a point that, that that was made just there. Yeah, about um, other improvements we can make to society in tandem with climate change, because climate climate action is is portrayed, you know, through through the media and very often by in public debate as uh, as sacrifices. These the cost. How what will it cost us uh, to make to, to to bring about climate action? But actually, you know, climate action will mean warmer homes. Better public transport, maybe free public transport, cleaner air, cleaner water, less commuting, maybe a shorter working week. There's so many improvements, so many, um, you know, our society can be much, much better for, for, for many people if we move away, uh, if we take proper climate action and move away from this, uh, you know, profit driven drive for perpetual growth. I think that's a good point to leave it. Julia, thank you very much. Ray, thank you very much. William, thank you very much for taking the time to come and talk to us. And if I can just say, we can't let communities like Ray's be destroyed so that our imperative to keep the lights on is fulfilled. And we can't do it. Thanks very much for coming on and talking to us. I do want to have two really quick points. One, that there is a cost to climate action, and that cost should be incurred by the 1%, the theocracies and the thugocracies, as they're regularly referred to. That's who should incur the cost. And the second thing is, obviously, Martin, for balance, I'm having a data center on this afternoon to give his full. He's going to tell us how how we've hurt his feelings by not uh, not doing it. Listen, folks, thanks for listening. We are covering... The uh, monkeypox um, vaccine rollout and what's actually happening there as well. So stay tuned for that. Uh, 
you, you look yet again another example of a community that is a, a minority community that has been left to uh, to their own devices when there are so much easier options to take, and we will be talking about them soon. Talk, thanks for thanks for listening, folks, and we'll talk to you all uh, probably this afternoon. Take care. Bye bye. Thank you. Tony and Martin, Martin and Tony, speaking to interesting people only. It's the Echo Chamber Podcast. Subscribe now on Patreon.